You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I'm excited to bring you a message this morning. Turn, if you would, to Acts 26, and we'll be there right around the book of Acts, uh, most of the message. And you'll notice that my sermon title this morning is in the form of a question. And that question is this, are you a Christian? Now, now when we're asked this question, and by the way, I have in mind a, a, a grand purpose in preaching this as the last sermon of November, knowing that our sermons entering December will, will be, uh, you know, with, with, with Christ's birth in mind and the Advent season and all of that goes along with that. So as we look at 2023, I really want you to consider this question. Are you a Christian? Years ago, I had a friend that told me that he came across someone who asked him that question, and he gave me his response and asked me what I I thought about his response, and I, I want to share it with you this morning. He said, I was asked the question, are you a Christian? And for some reason, it just hit me different. And his response was this, yes. I am saved. I'm born again. But you asked me if I was a Christian. And being a Christian is a whole lot more than just being saved. I wonder if there are some things that we, words in, 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 in the Christian life, in the Christian world, that we, we use loosely. For instance, Could it be that we use the word friend loosely? It's mentioned 137 times in in the Word of God. And yet, I will admit that uh, as I've lived my life, I have found that there are many acquaintances, there are friends for a season, if you will. But years ago, someone told me this, that as you get older, you'll understand there are few forever friends. I mean, friends that really understand friendship and the meaning of friendship, even from a biblical standpoint. I have messages that I preach on the word friend and friendship, and, and believe me, they are, they are much, there's much more involved in it than I think sometimes we mean when we say, yeah, you're, you're my friend, or we throw around, yeah, you're my bestie, you know. I wonder if we take the word forgive and, and say it loosely at times. I forgive you, you know, fingers crossed, <laughs> Or I forgive you, and, and, and that's, there's so much depth to that word. There's so much that is involved in that word. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, if you were here with us. And, and so forgiveness oftentimes is something that I wonder. 127 times forgiveness is mentioned in Scripture. And yet I wonder today if at times we carelessly use the word forgive. These are words that we often can use carelessly. Hey, I, I'll pray for you, or I'm praying for you, or will you pray for me? We've come to the place oftentimes where we realize that unless we pray maybe right then with that person or as we're walking away or as we're texting those words, stop and pray right there, that oftentimes those words, if we're not careful, can be said carelessly. This morning, I'm concerned about the word Christian. Today, a person is a Christian who was born in America and is not Jewish or Muslim. The fact of the matter is that sometimes you'll ask someone if they're a Christian, and their response would be, yes, I'm born in America. And America's a Christian nation. So, of course, I'm a Christian. Carelessly, it's often used. So, what is a Christian? And are you 
a Christian. And be careful before you answer that question. Think with me for just a moment about that question. Did you know that the word Christian, I said forgiveness 127 times and friend 137 times. Christian only three times in the Bible. And it's almost as if because of how, how, all, uh, you know, how often it's used, just three times, it adds more weight to the message, more, more reason for you to listen and to understand what the gravity of what it means to say, I am a Christian. So let's look at that together and let's answer that question. Are you a Christian? And let's begin with the text, Acts chapter 26. And what I want to do is read you verse 22 as a way of introducing the message and then I'll come back and give you some context before we read verse 23. Are you ready? Listen to verse 22. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Now, the text of that verse is the Apostle Paul talking here, and he is speaking to King Agrippa. And what's happened here is Paul has been arrested for preaching the gospel of Christ. And he's being tried for, uh, you know, starting a riot, stirring up a riot. And he's standing there before this pagan king. And the first thing he does is in response to what this pagan king, this civil magistrate, King Agrippa, says to him in verse 1. King Agrippa says in verse 1 to Paul, now we're in verse 22, but King Agrippa says, Paul, you're persuaded, or you're, uh, you're, you're able to speak for yourself. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say a word for yourself. Now, Paul's been arrested, no doubt. He's in shackles. He's in whatever the prison garb would have looked like in that day. I don't know that he knew he had any forewarning that he would stand before that audience and say a word, but that's exactly what King Agrippa was giving him a chance. You can speak for yourself. Has anybody ever been in a position where you had no idea you were going to have to speak and you were asked to speak and it sort of came as a shock to you. I remember my wife and I were on vacation and we were in North Carolina. Now when you're on vacation and you're a pastor, the last thing you want to do is preach. I mean, you, you, I I say that tongue in cheek. I mean, I know I love to preach, but I I love vacation too. And it's nice to take a, a, just a deep breath. And sometimes we can be guilty. I I tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth here. I, I sit on the back row when I'm on vacation sometimes. So I understand the back row only on vacation, but I do get it. And, uh, I'll sit on the back row, slip in maybe five minutes late, slip out five minutes early. And again, I'm saying that just tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if it's exactly the way that that's not, I don't intentionally do those things. I'm trying to get you to stay with me here to understand that vacation is sometimes a time of rest and relaxation for a pastor who preaches a lot. And so I sat on the back row. I wasn't dressed for church that day, I, meaning this, that I, I had, you know, not that I would dress any differently uh, per se, but I, I wasn't in a, you know, uh, I, was, I was in vacation clothes, if you will. I, I was just totally laying back and just enjoying my time there The church was a large church, had about a thousand people there that Sunday, and I'm sitting on the back row, and somehow the pastor found out that I was there and said, is Erica Pacey here today? Where are you at, Eric? We're glad you're in the services today, and I slipped my hand up just barely. He said, do you happen to have a sermon with you? He said, I said, well, I I think so. He said, great, why don't you preach this morning? I'm so glad you're here. And no joke, within a minute of that statement, I was on the platform saying, open your Bibles. I'm so thankful I had at least one sermon with me today. I fully understand what Paul meant when he said, be ready in season and out of season. Trust me, I was not in season that day. 
Paul was in that predicament. Will you speak, Paul? Come on up here and say a word. I almost feel as if Paul, uh, you know, would have been thinking, what am I going to say? And so what we know that Paul did was he gave his testimony. Great idea, by the way. When you can't think of anything else to say to someone, just tell them how Jesus Christ has changed your life. Amen. What an opportunity. In fact, that morning that I was asked to preach, all I would have had to do is say, you know what, I'm not ready, but I'm just going to take the next 30 minutes to tell you what Jesus Christ has done to change my life forever. I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Amen. I can share that story. I could preach for 30 minutes. In fact, Jeremy leaned over to me during the worship service and said, Preacher, I'm just so glad I'm saved. (laughs) That's what you did right in the middle. It wasn't even on the screen. And you said that. You know why I said it? Because when you're singing, Hallelujah, Christ is risen from the dead, you get excited if you're a Christian because you know that's the reason why you are. Amen? And so there was some excitement in Paul. As he comes onto that stage and stands before King Agrippa and all of those in that big auditorium, wherever it may have been, and and he begins to share what Jesus Christ did for him. To this day, he said after that, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, not just to the great, but to the small, not just to 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 the wise, but to the unwise, saying nothing. But what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus interrupted. Festus was another one of these high guys, you know, one of these big shots, one of these civil magistrates, and Festus raises his voice and says with a loud voice, Paul, you're flat out of your mind, bro. Much learning has made you mad. You have lost your mind. You're learning too much. You're studying too much. And you've lost your mind. Paul says, I love his response. No, I haven't. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Shows a little respect there. I'm speaking truth and rational words. Paul says, Mr. Festus, What I speak is truth, and what I speak is serious. For the king, King Agrippa, he knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things, what things? The thing that he's talking about, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because after Jesus showed himself alive, there were many infallible proofs of that. Hundreds had heard about this and knew about this. The the word was spreading far and wide. None of these things have escaped King Agrippa's notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, put him on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot this morning. Isn't that good preaching? When a preacher puts you on the spot, by the way, hey, it's sometimes good every now and then if we feel a little bit uncomfortable in church. It might mean the Holy Spirit's at work. So I say to you, as Paul said to them, King Agrippa, Believest thou the prophets? Do you believe the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you made a decision? I know that you believe, King. I know you do. And King Agrippa responds like this. Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. The King James says it like this. Almost, Paul, almost you have persuaded me 
to be a Christian. And there we see in this message the very first of three times the word Christian is mentioned in the Word of God. And that question now, are you a Christian, includes this, are you converted to Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you have turned from your sins, repented of your sins, and trusted in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone for your salvation? Because a Christian is somebody who is marked by a persuasion that leads to a conversion. Meaning this, that there was a time in my life at the age of 13 when I sat in a church and I was King Agrippa. I was. I was the one who was there and, and, and had, had uh, no knowledge of what it would have meant to become uh, a, a, a saved person born again. I, I was religious. I went to church. I, was, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I did not know him personally. And after the preacher preached, I was persuaded. Trust me, he did a very good job of persuading me. But I left the building lost. And Agrippa did not become a Christian. He was almost persuaded. Notice three things in the text about King Agrippa. Number one, notice this. He was convinced about Christ. He was convinced. In verse number 27, it clearly says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I know, Paul said, I know that you are convinced this is true. No doubt there are many sitting in churches all over the world today who are convinced about Christ. There are many sitting in homes today that thought about coming to church that are convinced about Christ. There are many in this world today that have never been saved, but they are convinced about Christ because you can be convinced about Christ and still not be a Christian. Paul told Agrippa about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. King Agrippa knew that. He had heard about it. It's in verse 22. It's in verse 23. And therefore, King Agrippa was secondly convicted by Christ. He was convicted. In fact, look at verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe, King Agrippa says, you would persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. You've almost persuaded me. I mean, I'm feeling something. I... I, I, this was a difficult decision not to make. You ever been convicted in church? Did anybody ever experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit? You know, maybe for you it, it might be wetty palms or getting a little warm, getting a little uncomfortable. You know, I've, I've talked to folks as they've left the building, even this morning. Whew, preacher, it was a little heavy this morning in there. I felt, I felt some, it was a little intense. I, I understand. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit will oftentimes bring us to a place where we are almost persuaded the king was so close to being saved. I'm reminded of a song that as a young boy, I remember as I was preparing the message, this song that we used to sing every now and then. It was kind of a sad response song, but it was so true and so scriptural. And it, the, it was a phrase, there was one little line in that song, almost persuaded, Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Almost. Right there. Convinced and convicted. But number three, King Agrippa was not converted. 
He was not converted King Agrippa. He was on that throne. He was full of pride. And the pride became a barrier between the pounding of the Holy Spirit into his life. His pride became a barrier to the the difference that the Holy Spirit could have made had it been able to get past the pride. Paul is telling him about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But King Agrippa almost was persuaded. I can think of those in my church after all these years in our church, those who had been in church for a long time or heard the gospel for a long time. I'm thinking of Nellie Sullivan, the first person, Neva, to ever get saved and baptized in the 30-year history of our church. How many times Nellie, or Neva rather, had invited Nellie to church all those years. I mean, invited her, and she would every now and then, you know, understand, hear the gospel, be convinced about Christ. Uh, and Nellie, Neva used to say, if I could just get her to come, I know she would, she would, she would be convinced and be persuaded and, and be convicted and be converted. And that very first Sunday, she came to our church and the gospel was preached. And I'll never forget watching Nellie step into the aisle, 60 some odd years old, walk down that aisle, Neva crying tears of joy, seeing her friend get saved that Sunday. And then we baptized uh, Nellie in the horse trough in the basement of our Spanish church. It was an amazing thing. Thank God for that. You may be older in life here today and having been in church all your life and thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I've been in church. I, I think about Randy Sollers. Randy's getting baptized on the 11th, and I've had the privilege of, of, of seeing Randy get saved and be discipled, and now he's ready to be baptized, and he's so excited about the 11th and following Christ and believers' baptism. We've been talking about it all week. He's coming in Tuesday to share his testimony. I'm so thrilled about this, and Randy is 65 years old. He's heard the gospel. He, he's, he's been convinced, and he's been convicted, but thank God now he's been converted. Are you converted to Christ? I think some here today surely are very close. You've heard the gospel. You've heard about the voluntary death and the victorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know about these things. You've been convicted. You're almost. But this morning you're lost. Have you been converted to Christ? I did not ask you this morning if you were a Baptist. Don't worry. That's, that's, that's not part of the equation. I didn't ask if you if you were baptized. I, I didn't ask you if you were a member of, of a church or our church or any church. The question is this. Are you a Christian? H- have you been converted? Notice the second time the word Christian is used in the Bible. Acts chapter 11. Notice in our text verse number 22 as we begin here. And, and I want to begin by just sharing a little bit about the text this time before I actually read it to you. It's a powerful passage. Honestly, this may be my, my favorite little portion of Scripture in the book of Acts. It's one of those. It's top three for sure. And Acts is a power-packed, incredible book in the Bible. But here is what's happening in this text that we're about to read. There had been some people in Jerusalem that had committed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was many that were being saved. By the thousands, they were being baptized. It was a powerful testimony of a growing, thriving local New Testament church, the first church. Persecution then arose in the church. And Stephen 
was the first martyr. He was stoned to death. It was very serious. And of course, this brought about a lot of fear and concern uh, uh, for the lives of men, women, boys, and children, and all of this. And so some, some of the Christians under persecution decided to, to move and, and, and to relocate, and they moved to Antioch. And so here we're reading in this text about these Christians that had been in Antioch, and while they were in Antioch, they preached the gospel. Excited about what Jesus was doing. In fact, I'm sure they preached the gospel all the way to Antioch. And as a result of what was happening, the word got back to Jerusalem. Man, something's going on in Antioch, and it's happened pretty quickly. And let's make sure it's not wildfire, something crazy. Let's make sure they're they're doing it the right way. You know, sometimes churches can get rather judgmental about other churches, and so the idea came: let's send Barnabas. Let's send. We, we trust Barnabas. Barnabas is a full of the Holy Spirit. He's a good man. He's a godly man. Let's let him go and make sure how things are going. Barnabas goes. The Bible says he sees in Antioch that this is real. This is real revival. People are being saved. Lives are being changed. Now let's pick up the text. The report of this came to the ears of the church. What report? The report of what was happening in Antioch, this revival. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He did that because he knew that Paul could disciple these Christians, and he was equipped to do that and qualified to do that. And when he found uh, Saul, Paul, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Now, notice this. Don't miss this. This is the second mention of the word Christian we're going to mention this morning. And in Antioch, the disciples, disciples were first called Christians. Who called them Christians? They, they didn't call themselves Christians. Think about it. Who called them Christians? Others who saw them, identified them, well, they must be Christians. It was other people because they were living like Christ. They were called Christians. That's what the word Christian means. To be a Christian is someone who is living like the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by just what they say with their mouths, by what they do with their lives. Are you converted to Christ? Secondly, are you committed to Christ? Are you a Christian? It's so much more than just being born again. Are you committed to Christ? How can you tell if someone is committed to Christ? Is there some way to do it? Well, let's see how these people were living in a way that they were called Christians. Maybe in the text we can find out what does it mean to be committed and how can people look at our lives and say they must be a Christian? First of all, sec- first, firstly, look, notice in Acts chapter 11, there was a very consistent walk in their lives. Acts 11 verse 23, a consistent walk. And the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed to, and turned to the Lord. And the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now watch this, watch this. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. How do you see the grace of God? What does it look like? What's the color of the grace of God? What's the size of the grace of God? Is there any way to identify what they saw that made them so glad? When he saw the grace of God, he was glad. The only way to see the grace of God is how it's lived out in the life of a Christian. 
Listen, in my life, in Erica Pace's life, if I've been saved by grace and if I've been kept by grace, then I'll live by grace and you will see grace in my life. You'll see it. It'll be evident. If I've been saved by grace and kept by grace and I'm living by grace, then you will see the grace of God. Why? Listen, church. Listen, as we look at a new year, as we embark upon a new year to impact this community for Christ, there's so many others in this community that are lost. In a moment, we're going to listen to an international missions board testimony. One of the statements you're going to hear this gentleman say is, there's so much lostness in this world. And there's so much lostness in this city. There's so much lostness on your street. God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. God has no feet but our feet to lead men to his way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men that Christ died. He has no help but our help to lead men to his side. Why? Because we're the only gospel this careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message written in deed and in word. So what if the line is crooked? And what if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other works than his? What if our feet are leading where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things that Christ would spurn? Then how can we help to aid him and hasten his return? Because I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk the walk than merely show the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Your fine counsel? Well, it's confusing. But example? It's always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the ones who live their creed. Because to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver, they may be very wise and true, but personally, I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When they saw the grace of God, they were glad. Church family, what this community needs to see in the membership of Gospel Light is to see the grace of God. And they need to see it in the classroom, students. 
Students, listen to me, Christian students, believers, followers of Jesus Christ. You attend Gospel Light Christian School or a local school in this area. May the students that go to school with you see the grace of God. And you're not a Christian because you go to a Christian school. I don't know where we get that or how we come up with that. Well, I thought this was a Christian school. Listen, a Christian school is a whole lot more than just a word on a billboard. It has something to do with a Christian student living it out in front of the students so that they might see the grace of God in your life. It's about seeing the grace of God on the ball field, on the basketball court, on the football, especially when you get fouled, especially when you miss a shot, especially when it doesn't go your way. Will they see the grace of God? Will they see the grace of God Monday when you go to work and the holidays are over and, and you're a little weary and a little tired and not so excited about going back to work, but that the, the you understand there's a lost world that needs to see the grace of God at Walmart, at Wendy's, at Cracker Barrel. And when he saw the grace of God, I wonder if people can see the grace of God in my life. I wonder if people can see the grace of God in your life. There was a consistent walk, but not only that, there was in these committed people called Christians by other people, there was a courageous witness. Look at verse 19 of Acts 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. They were speaking the word to no one except the Jews, but there were some of them these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists or the Grecians, also preaching. Look at those words in capital letters. Don't you like it? Isn't that a beautiful sight? Preaching the Lord Jesus. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. There was this courageous witness. They were telling people about Jesus everywhere they went. I remember... uh, when I was younger, there was this little old song we used to sing sometimes uh, just to open up a, a little service or a get-together. We'd sing this little song. It's still indelibly printed upon my mind and heart. Let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings is he, the Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Amen. Can I tell you? Hey, I actually like the one we just sang better than that one. In fact, the both of those songs, Your Love Awakens Me. You know what that means? Not just in the early morning service it awakens me. Man, I'm so glad Jordan sang that song. We need a peppy song to wake us up. It's actually referring to the fact that when God's love comes upon a, a converted person's life and they, their eyes are open to the gospel, they become committed to Christ to where when they go out into the community, the love of Christ awakens them to the lostness of this world. And we see the need for others to experience what you and I have experienced. They were telling people about Jesus everywhere they went because being a Christian includes receiving Jesus. Yes, but it also includes revealing Jesus and representing Jesus. Do you witness for Christ? The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. This was his purpose. I got married on July 30th of 1988. So on July 25th of 1988, I boarded a plane to head to California to marry my bride of 34 and a half years, honey. 
And I'm glad we're married and I've enjoyed the holidays with you and Glow. Our whole family's left town this weekend, so it's just been the three of us and Paula. <laughs> Paula, hang on. Yes, that was fun. I got a little break, yeah. But uh, I boarded this plane. It was, I was going to meet my dad and my brothers and my, my brother and, and family to get married in, in Los Angeles. So I flew southwest. Well, when you fly southwest, at least back then, I have no idea what it's like now. You don't get a seat number. Like, I always thought that was weird, but it was a cheap ticket, so I got it. You just, like, you board the plane when they tell you to board the plane. I think you, we got a number back then or something, and the number that I got, I, the lot that I drew, <laughs> I, I got on last, which means you get the worst seat. I mean, if you're the last person on the plane, you're not getting an aisle seat, and you're not getting a window seat. You're getting a middle seat. And that's the worst seat on the plane. Come on, can I get an amen right there? All right. I don't know if anybody that says, I want the middle seat. <laughs> oh, let me go. It's worse than that. It was the front row middle seat. Front row meaning there's no place to put your carry-on. You can't put it under the seat. Jeremy, you, you and I traveled a couple weeks ago, and we sat together. That was fun. You got the middle seat. You know, I'm just kidding. I think I got the middle seat once, and you got it once. But we put our stuff under the seat so we could get to it, so we could get our stuff out. And if we wanted to read or do some work, I yeah. Front row seat, you got to put it in the carry, you know, the luggage space. and You can't put it under a seat. There's no place to put it. And so I got on the plane. I walked on, saw that front row middle seat. I noticed there was a little boy sitting in the aisle. We're going to ask him to move, you know. And then there was a purse in the seat next to the window. I wasn't sure where she was. So I thought, well, I'll just get comfortable on the middle seat. And I put my little carry-on above, and I took this Bible, this exact Bible. This is the one that I... I took with me. I found it in my office this morning. It just hit me about this story, and, 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 and I thought, I think I may still have that Bible that I had on that plane. And so I, I took this Bible out, put it on my lap, and thought, well, I'll read the Bible, maybe fall asleep. It was a three-hour flight from Chicago to L.A., a little longer. So I leaned over to, to the young man next to me, and I said, what's your name? He said, Michael. I said, Michael, you flying by yourself? About 10. He said, no, my dad's the pilot. Mmm, you're cool, man. You're that's a pilot. That's awesome. I go, hey, you think you can get me in the cockpit? I said, I would lo- I've never been in the cockpit before, and I've flown a lot, but I'd love to see the process of what that looks like. He said, yeah, sure, I'm sure. He goes up, cool, walks up. Hey, Dad, some guy sitting next to him wants to see the cockpit. You, you okay with that? Sure, send him up. I'm like, whoa, man, connections. Michael, the man. So I walk up into the you know, cockpit, and I stick my head in. He says, hey, you sit next to my son? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, that's good. He goes, hey, let me show you around. So he shows me the little, all the instruments and what they do and paperwork they fill out and it's communicating to the tower and all the stuff they do. And I'd never experienced that before. It's pretty cool, about 15 minutes. And then I could tell they were about done and getting ready to take off. So I said, I'll go get a seat. He said, hey, real, real quick. He said, uh, look, my son flies with me a lot. The worst part of traveling with me is the flight because it's boring. And he always tells me, Dad, it's so boring. You sit there. And he's a talker. He said, so if you're, if, I don't know, if, if you like to talk, he'll talk. Just saying. If you feel up to it. I said, yeah, I feel, I feel up to it. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. He goes, thanks, man. I go back, sit down, and so Michael, and about that time, the lady whose purse was here, she comes into the seat, and she says, uh, she says something in, I, I want to say it was Korean. 
uh, Chris, Chris, where you, what's Chris at? This is my man, Chris. I think she was Korean. I'll show you her signature after. I'll get to the punchline here in just a second. But I, she said something in another line. I think it was, I know she was Asian. I think she was Korean. She says it in, in, and I guess it was excuse me or something. I didn't know what she said. So I said, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, come on in here, you know. And she kind of looked at me like she didn't know what I was saying. So I thought, well, she can't speak English. So she sits down in that window seat, and I'm sitting in the middle seat, and I'm thinking, well, obviously, she's not going to be much conversation, so I'm, I'm stuck with Michael. So I said, hey, Mike. I said, so tell me what your favorite color is. What's your favorite food? What's your, I mean, I ask all the favorite questions, right? We get through all that, and then he says, hey, tell me a story. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, junior church, kids church, I'm good. So I tell him funny stories, sad stories, scary stories, just stories. I mean, all kinds of stories, you know, like I'm telling you right now, just a story. Keep him interested. Jesus did that with parables, right? I'm telling him a story, and all of a sudden his dad's voice comes over the speaker system, and I'm thinking, man, has it been that long? It's been like two and a half hours. We just, the time flew. <laughs> and me and Mike are best buds by now, and his dad says, listen, we're about to land the plane. Just get ready. The stewardess is coming through. Get your trash. And I'm like, okay. I said, so. And then the Holy Spirit said, Eric, come on now. You got, you got 30 minutes to tell one more story. You left out the best one. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I start telling the story of Jesus. And I tell it in a way that he could connect with it. By the way, remember, Jesus says all of us who become Christians must do so like a little child. Amen? With childlike faith. And I watched little Michael just melt in that seat as I told him about Jesus. He was familiar with who he was and some things about Jesus. No doubt convinced about Christ. He knew Christ. Uh, and, and I could see conviction begin to settle in. And that look on his face of what is this all about? And what, what does that have to, have to do with me? And, and then when we got down, I could tell he was asking questions. And he was really in, into it and, 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 and interested in it. And then finally, I, I asked him the question. I said, Mike, would, would you like to accept Christ? Would you want to pray and, and just right now receive Christ? You, you could do that. He said, on the plane? I said, sure. You, you could do that. In fact, we're closer to heaven, man. You could do that right here. He said, sure. And about that time, this lady sitting over here on the window, who I haven't heard from in two hours and 45 minutes, said, me too. And I'm like, excuse me? She goes, me? I like to pray too. That is a good story. I've never done that before. And I'm like, oh, well, that's wonderful. I said, okay, well, uh, Michael, and, and what's your name? She said, Chung Bong Sung. I, is that Korean? Chung Bong Sung? Anyway, so Chung Bong Sung and Michael... I said, listen, I'm just going to pray the sinner's prayer, and I'm sure there's a lot of sinner's prayer. I had one that day that God gave to me, and I shared it, and they said it, and both got saved, and Michael signed my Bible. That's why I thought, I think I still have this Bible, and I found it this morning. Michael Tresh, July 25th, 1988, and Chung Bong Sun, University of School of Nursing, July 25th, 1988. Both of them got saved on that plane. And, you know, I thought about that witness that I gave that day that I was heading to get married, how my enthusiasm for witnessing back then, my excitement about sharing the gospel, developing a three-hour relationship on that plane and not being selfish about my time, honey. I, I think I've lost some of that zeal. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, know that I, I don't know that I'm that sensitive anymore to the lost around me like I used to be. And just telling that story and, and seeing those names signed in this Bible that's still sitting in my office motivates, inspires, and honestly, church family convicts me to be a better witness 
to have more courage to just share the love of Jesus, even in a fun atmosphere like that was, and watch the hand of God and the Holy Spirit put pieces together to where Michael and Chung Sung Bung could get saved. Amen? Aren't you glad there's going to be a new name written down in glory? Hallelujah. I don't think it'll be Chung Sung Bung. But anyway, all right. A courageous witness. So we see here a consistent walk, a courageous witness. And quickly, notice there was a common worship. As a committed Christian, you'll have this as well. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, one whole year, they met with the church. And and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Church family, can I tell you something? We're so excited about what God is going to do in 2023. We've got so much to share with you over the next few weeks about these new lighthouses that we're starting. And and kind of the, the, the value of these is going to be like looking at a year of people being together and being discipled and learning about the Bible and learning how to grow as a Christian. There's going to be a lot more to it and a lot more exciting things with it. And what I'm believing is if we have Christians here who have been converted and who are committed, they're going to desire this because that's what happened here. Notice again in the passage, it says here that... They, for a whole year, they met with the church. When you are a Christian, you love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves the church. I'm so glad to be here this morning. I didn't have to make myself come. I mean, listen, I'm tired on Sunday mornings. Yes, I've got flesh. Yes, there are times in my life where I don't feel as good as other days, but I can tell you this in my heart of hearts, I love being here. And let me tell you why, because you're here. It's not the padded pews. It's not necessarily the worship. It's not, it's not the decor of the auditorium. It is you. I like gathering with you. I want to be with you in small group. I want to be with you in discipleship. I want to spend time with you. I love this. And as a committed Christian, there is a common worship. Do you love to get together with other believers? Are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I'm saved. It's a whole lot more than that. Are you committed? Are you converted? Now notice the third time in closing, 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll be done. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. A Christian is one who has been converted to Christ. A Christian is one who is committed to Christ, and a Christian is one who is crucified with Christ. Are you crucified with Christ? Listen, you cannot be a true Christian without suffering for Jesus. Look at 2 Peter, or rather 2 Timothy chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We heard a story today as Jeremy introduced the offering. What a powerful story. I never heard that before. About the dirty cup of soup and the bread. And I'm thinking, here's an incredible man who founded the the, the ministry that we presented to the church last week. Powerful book that we're studying through. Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, actually. And, And a powerful presentation. And yet, here's a man who understands that as a Christian, there is going to be persecution. That's why 1 Peter 4.16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. 
Rather, let him glorify God because there is no cheap way, there is no easy way, there is no lazy way to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly a follower. There is none. They don't exist. It doesn't exist. So if anyone suffers as a Christian, listen, all of us understand trouble. I mean, we all have trouble. In fact, there's different ways that suffering can look. Number one, let me give you these real quickly. Three, three things that we understand when it comes to trouble. First of all, there is common trouble or common suffering. We talked about that last week, right? Job chapter 14 and verse 1. Man who was born of women is few of days and full of trouble. In other words, if you had a flat tire on the way to church, don't spiritualize that. Be careful. Well, I didn't read three chapters in my Bible this morning And so I had a flat tire. No, let me tell you what you had. You had a flat tire. It's okay. Tires go flat, right? I mean, like we're in the kitchen uh, Thursday. Somebody dropped something. It goes everywhere. Last night, I worked with Joe at the food truck. I had worked at the food truck in four four months. But nobody was in town. I said, Joe, let me work tonight. Joe spills pepperonis everywhere, Tiffany. I mean, they went everywhere. First thing I thought of was, profit (laughs) on the ground. Pepperonis. I love pepperonis, you know. And then I thought for a minute, I could look at Joe right now and say, Joe, I bet you didn't have your devotions this morning. (laughs) Or I could just say, you know what? I've dropped pepperonis before too. You know, I've dropped stuff. I'm having a little fun this morning. I'm just saying this. Folks, we have trouble. Our our lives are full of trouble. And that's just life. It's common suffering. We all experience this. Don't, Don't take it too hard. Don't always connect it to something you did wrong. It's life. Number two, there's carnal suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, Scripture clearly says that none of us need to suffer. If we're truly followers of Christ, none of us need to suffer as murderers or thieves or evildoers or meddlers. Meaning this, that sometimes we suffer because it's our own fault. And we'll call that this morning just carnal suffering, things we bring upon ourselves because of bad decisions, things that we do that, that, that have consequences. And this is, this is what happens when we are involved in, in carnal things, in fleshly things. But then this morning, when it comes to the word Christian, there is Christian suffering. If anyone suffers as a Christian, 1 Peter 4.16, pastor, Pastor, listen, I, I got a visitor with me, or I'm bringing one next week. Do you, are you sure you want to build this church and talk about Christians having to suffer? That's no way to grow your congregation. Well, I can go to sleep at night knowing I preached the whole counsel of God and didn't tiptoe through the tulips and painted a different color and make sure that everybody feels comfortable. Truth of the matter is, you need to know this. If you're a Christian, truly a Christian, you're going to suffer. It, it, the scripture says it. I, I think that should build the church, not decline it. I think when we're just honest with people and share with them, this is what it means to be a Christian. You cannot truly be a Christian without suffering for Christ. I think about little things that have happened in my lifetime, and I'll close with this. And, but little things that have happened in my life that, that, that I can remember, just going back to being in college, and I worked at Sears and Roebuck, and I remember being a Christian on that sales team and being working in the world and how difficult that was i mean not to participate in the dirty jokes and when they would use the lord's name in vain i was careful i didn't like preach at him i just found myself i didn't quit the job i kept the job i needed the job god gave me the job 
But I knew to be a light, I had to go through some suffering. And I had to, at times, distance myself from the chaos. And, and, and it wasn't that I was mean or ugly, or I, I never did anything like that. But I, I found myself, as I was just different, that I was made fun of. That, that there were words that were said. They, were, they, were, they associated me with things that, 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 that they said that were just ugly, you know, and mean-spirited. And, and it, it hurt a little, and, and it bothered me. And there were times when I'm sure I was tempted to just cave in, you know, just to be honest. I'm sure there were. It's been a while. But it was hard. I remember, fast forward 35 years from those days at Sears and working on that secular floor and undergoing some persecution. Hard to say that, to be honest. But I know you go through some of it. I'm walking out of the building here a few years ago, maybe three, and I notice a man on a motorcycle with his helmet on. And I thought, as I walked past him, I I don't really want to stop and talk. I'm in a hurry. But he said my name. He said, Eric. And I looked at him, and I said, do I know you? And he said, yes, you know me. And I said, well, take your helmet off. And he takes his helmet off, and I still didn't recognize him. And I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, well, it's been 35 years. I'm like, who are you? He said, well, I'm a little embarrassed. I gave you a really hard time on the sales floor. I was probably your biggest enemy. I'm Don Crane. Don, what are you doing, man? He goes, well, I retired finally. And when I retired, I decided I was going to try that Capaces thing. I'd, I'd go to church at least once. And, you know, I never went to church while you were there. And I hadn't been to church in 30 years. But last year I went to church for the first time. And, man, I got under conviction. I, I, I was convinced about Christ just watching your life. There had to be something to it, the way you lived. And then I got convicted. And now I'm converted. He didn't say it just like that. But I'm saying it like that for the illustration here. He said, now I got saved. And, Eric, I'm a Christian. And I just came by to thank you. I'm not staying in Hot Springs today. I'm just traveling through. I'm on a vacation. I'm, I'm traveling the United States retirement. My wife passed away. I'm just by myself on my motorcycle, and I just came by to thank you. I know you took a lot of, and he used a little profane word right there. I know you took a lot of blank from us, but I just thought you'd like to know I got saved. You just never know, church. When you and I endure suffering in this life, it points people to Jesus. I was in Tennessee last week, and I'll close with this. I was in Tennessee last week with my wife for two weeks ago. We were preaching at a champion graduates church. It was really cool. James West, a lot of you guys know him, amazing guy, doing a great work. And I'm sitting in the room before the message, and I'm looking at Fox News getting caught up on my, just what's happening in the world, a lot of bad things happening. It's awful, isn't it? But we live in a, in a, in a sin-cursed world. And I noticed Stephen Trell. Well, I know Stephen. Stephen was a young man who went to teen camp all six years that he was a teenager, when I preached in New Jersey, Stephen has visited Hot Springs and spent time in my house. Stephen, he's a graduate of Crown College. Stephen Trell, a really great guy, a missionary. Awesome. I read on, gunned down. Here's the article, you can look at it. U.S. citizen gunned down in Baghdad under mysterious circumstances. Come to find out a terrorist group targeted an American missionary in retaliation to the American government and killed Stephen Trell. I couldn't believe it. I have no doubt that there are people in this room that probably remember him, know him, or know the name. Incredible young man. 
Look at the picture of Stephen again. There he is, his wife and his four beautiful daughters and son, little baby boy. Hard to understand, isn't it? But you know what's even more incredible? Is when you read the article and when you read what the wife is saying about her husband who experienced martyrdom. I mean, laid down his life. We're not talking about Sears and Roebuck, Jesus freak. There goes the Jesus freak. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody that was gunned down and a wife who responds. We responded to the call of God in our lives. It hurts. Respect our privacy. But we know that Stephen paid the ultimate price to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are glad that God has chosen to take him home. It's, it's just you, you read this and you're like, Lord, could I, could I say that? Would this be my response to persecution? Church, I'm not saying, giving you this illustration to scare you. First of all, we need to know these things. We need to pray for these families. These are our brothers. These people have sat in our church. They've been among us. We need to pray for them. But also, we need to understand, we need to take up the mantle of suffering. Be willing to be tried by fire. And sometimes as we're tried by fire in this world and the fiery darts of of the wicked are thrown at us and we experience a little tension in this world of sin because of who we are in Christ, may we rejoice and be glad that we can be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I want to live it to the glory of God. Even if it means one day, it would cost me my life on this earth. I say all that just to inspire us to become dedicated, converted, committed, crucified Christians in 2023. Would you join me in praying about this? What part of the message touched your heart? What part? Was it the converted part? Are you King Agrippa? Are you the 13-year-old boy sitting in church that day like I was? Lost? Convinced? Convicted? but lost is that you convinced of Christ I believe convicted hmm I'm almost there but lost is that you would you in a moment just be willing to come to Christ and maybe even where you're seated just pray talk to God tell God from your heart that you desire to repent of your sins and turn to Christ and Christ alone for salvation be saved today be converted and then become committed how about you christian converted christian are you committed to christ what's your commitment level where are you at when it comes to these things that people can see the grace of god in your life and then what about the crucified part committed enough to be willing to endure persecution as a soldier for jesus christ and all of this obviously is christ in us i understand that it's christ in us who allows us, who empowers us to be that. But we must surrender in that way, right? So with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, as we close this service, I'm going to ask you this morning to respond to one of those three requests, to be converted, to be committed, to be crucified with Christ. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm saved. But you asked me if I was a Christian. And that's a whole lot more. That's a deeper subject. 
than just being saved. And so this morning, I pray that God would work and move and speak as he has in my heart this week and this morning, and that we would respond as the Holy Spirit would lead us to do so. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise your name. I pray right now for those that even may be praying in their hearts right now to repent of their sins and to trust you. Father, may you, Lord, continue to move them in the direction of being committed and follow you in baptism and not being ashamed of the gospel. May you take all of us here today who call ourselves Christians and may we be awakened by this courageous call in our lives to become soldiers for Christ in 2023, witnesses for you in a a new zeal that, Lord, we have maybe seen fade through the years of just getting used to it, used to the blessings, used to the sermons, used to the services, used to the Bible. And God, we've gained so much knowledge, but we're not practicing what we've learned and we're not doing what we've learned. Father, may we be more than Christians in word, but may we be Christians in deed as well. I love you. I do. I love you, God. And I pray that all of us this morning would respond as the Holy Spirit moves. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?